course, we have a toddler church for up to three-year-olds already running for the whole service, and we're thankful for those that volunteer and work in those different uh, ministries. If you would turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. I need you to use your imagination as we begin by going back in time with me to about 600 B.C. We're in the ancient city of Jerusalem, and there's a family that is going through maybe their normal things for that night, but this would turn into anything but a normal night. Because as we see a young teenager in that family and a mom and dad and possibly other kids, there would come a knock at the door that would change their life. Young Daniel was the teenager in this home, and while we're not given all of these details, we do know that Daniel was among the elite students in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been taken over at this point by Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had come in to take over Jerusalem, and when he came in, he is going to, of course, cause havoc, and all the people went to their homes, and I'm sure locked their doors and wondered if they would be safe and for how long. And I guarantee there was praying going on that night. And on that night, there comes a knock on the door at Daniel's home. And as they cannot keep the people away, the parents would open the door or else they would bust down the door and the Babylonian soldiers would come in and they would find Daniel, who they knew about, and they would tie him up and they would take him away from his mother and from his father. When we look at Daniel and we look at what he went through, we know that he was in such a miserable place. Can you imagine being mom and dad, having the teenager taken away? And then I want you to imagine the 500-mile trip that they had to go from Jerusalem to Babylon. And as they're traveling along, what might have been some of the whispers and questions among the young people as they're tied and as they're marching along to go to a place? They weren't killed, so they probably were fairly confident that they weren't going to be killed. So what might a question have been? Psst, Daniel, what do you think they're going to do to us? Do you think they're going to torture us? Oh, the thoughts that must have went through their head as they were being taken away as slaves, taken away in exile, likely never to see their families again. Well, today we begin a new series in the book of Daniel. It's going to be a wonderful time of studying God's Word. It's my suspicion that Daniel might become one of your favorite books after we go through this, if it's not already. There's a couple different reasons why. One reason is because Daniel, the first half of it, is just full of some of the most wonderful stories. If you're like me, you love the stories of the Bible. They're so fantastic. And I think of all the prophetic books, this book has the best stories that hold our attention. Stories that we uh, tell our children about at a very young age. There aren't very many Bible characters who have the title of a song, Dare to Be a Daniel. And yet I grew up singing that song. There's something in this study that's going to be a wonderful blessing to you, whether it's the stories of the miracles or when we get to the second half of the book and it's prophecy after prophecy. Some of you love prophecy. 
I know when I was in junior high, went to a, a Christian school, and the seventh grade teacher gave us a choice. What do you guys want to study in Bible uh, this, this coming year? And we shouted out, Revelation, let's get into Revelation. And we can see his eyes get kind of big and say, what are these kids you know, up to and how's it going to go? We're going to be into some prophecy as we study the book of Daniel. But what we'll see in God's word in the upcoming weeks is that there is something about high pressure situations that will reveal the very best in people. And there's also something about high pressure situations that will reveal the worst in people. Now Daniel is one where we find the best come through. Daniel is taken into exile and we find that repeatedly from his teenage years to his senior years, he lives a life of integrity. Daniel has a contemporary named Ezekiel. There's a book right next to Daniel in the Bible. Ezekiel mentions Daniel and what he thinks of him. Ezekiel talks about some of the heroes of the faith and he mentions Daniel and here's the other two guys that he puts in the same category as Daniel. Noah and Job. That's some pretty good, uh, that's some pretty good company, right? That's what Ezekiel thought of Daniel when he was able to observe his life at that time. Someone once said about the second half of the book of Daniel, Daniel is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New Testament. And so the book divides evenly, right down the middle. Chapters one through six is about Daniel the man, and the last half is about the message. So I put a picture in your head of Daniel being taken away into captivity. We can't know exactly how that looked, but anytime we start a new book, we have to do a little bit of of background work. It's almost like a helicopter taking us off to an active area and dropping us down and we're not sure which way is forward and which way is backward and what's already happened over here or over there. Or for some of you uh, Star Wars lovers, it's almost like you turn on Star Wars episode three without seeing the first two. It's obvious there's been some battles and some rebellion going on, but I'm, I'm not quite sure. So with that in mind, let's just do a little bit of background. When we look at the nation of Israel, Israel was the home that God promised the children of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. This is what's referred to as the promised land. And of course, at this point, they had landed in the promised land. God gave them a temple for worship. He gave them the land. There's a lot of good things going on at, right before the book of Daniel takes place with this invasion. But God with all these blessings that he give, he has a covenant with Israel at that time that was a part that was a part on God's side and a part on Israel's side. They had to keep the covenant. And one of the biggest failures that they had that led to this invasion, that led to the division of the nation before the invasion into two different parts was idolatry. Now, whenever I say idolatry today, our minds kind of are, are, are not able to grasp exactly maybe what they went through. They lived in a polytheistic society. Poly, many theistic gods, many gods. They didn't mind the God of Israel being around. He could be one of a hundred or one of a thousand. But God demands something different. And God demanded of them that you have no other gods before me. So this sin of idolatry is front and center at the reason why they failed to keep this covenant with God. 
So if you're wondering why Babylonians taken over, it's not just because they were taking over the world. Israel had lost their place in this covenant because of their sin. We can reverse back with the nation of Israel, and when we look at their history, we know the three kings that jump out at the start. The first king of Israel was Saul. He was not a good king. The next king of Israel was a good king, a man after God's own heart, and that was David. And then David's son took the throne, and his name was Solomon. Solomon gave us writings in the scriptures that we have today wonderfully. He was the wisest man that ever lived in this world. He had uh, impressed people and uh, kings and queens from great distances. He built God's temple. But Solomon did not have a heart that kept fixed completely on God. He would fall into this trap of idolatry. And the window for him to become an idolater was all the women that he allowed in his life. Hundreds and hundreds of wives and concubines Solomon let in, and many of them had different gods, and so he would go and kneel and pray to those gods. And because of this sin, Israel is divided into the north and the south, the ten northern kingdoms, the two southern kingdoms. And then, after they're divided, we come to Daniel's time. God's judgment is going to come now, and it's going to involve this superpower, Babylonia. All that to take us to Daniel chapter 1. Now, I started with that question that I can imagine one boy asking another. What do you think they're going to do to us? Well, we can read the account. They didn't have anything to worry about. Because instead of being taken to a place where they would be tortured, instead they're going to be taken to a place where they would live a lavish life. They are going to be enrolled in the premier education program of the most popular city in the world. And so Babylon was where they were being taken. Babylonia had taken over the world. And so I think they have a practice of regularly bringing all the brightest and the best to Babylon. And that's where they're going. There were a couple different routes that a king could take to um, break a people, to take some slaves or exiles and get their allegiance. One is to treat them like Pharaoh did in the Old Testament. Remember when um, Israel was in captivity and they wanted to make their number smaller so they were killing their sons? And they oppressed them and made life so hard for them? That's not the route that Nebuchadnezzar is going to take. Instead, Nebuchadnezzar wants their loyalty and their allegiance. So he is going to bring them to a place that's more wonderful than any place they've ever been before. Look at chapter 1 of Daniel, the first two verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels into the treasury of his God. Let's stop there. So 605 BC is when this first invasion happens. Now for you history buffs, Israel is not uh, wiped out at this point. Babylon will invade Jerusalem 
at, on three different occasions. And this time they go to Jerusalem, but Nebuchadnezzar's attack is cut short. He can't do all that he wants to do at this time. Because what happened in 605 BC was Nebuchadnezzar's father, who was actually still the king back in Babylon, he dies when Nebuchadnezzar is attacking Jerusalem. And so he has to hightail it back to Babylon. At this point, Nebuchadnezzar does something that the historians can hardly believe. He makes a trip of over 500 miles in about two weeks. And it's an incredible uh, feat that he accomplishes there. But he has to go early. He can't do all that he wants to do in this land that he has taken over. And when he leaves, he does at least three things, probably more, but three that we're going to point out for ourselves. Here's one thing that he does. So he's getting ready to leave. They have taken over Jerusalem, but, and he's taken their king and, and taken him down a notch. What he's going to do, first of all, is set up a puppet king in that place so that he won't be able to lead a rebellion, so that he can have somewhat control back there. He's going to travel quite a ways, and he sets up some leadership. The next thing that he does is he took, we just read this in verse 2, he took items from God's temple or what we sometimes call Solomon's temple. He took some of those sacred items that you can read about um, in the Old Testament. Why would he do that? Remember that term I used, polytheistic? You see, Nebuchadnezzar had many gods and for him to take the items from God, the living God, my God, your God, his temple, meant that Nebuchadnezzar's gods were stronger than Jerusalem's God. This is a huge message that is being sent here. My strong, my, or my God is stronger than your God. And I'm gonna give you some homework. There's a couple different ways you can do this. You can do it open note or uh, open your own notes, I guess I should say. You can read through the first six chapters of Daniel and point out how many times we find this comparison of these false gods, lowercase g gods, versus the living God. It's amazing how many times we're going to see that comparison because here's what had happened. Nebuchadnezzar left Babylon, went into Israel, into Jerusalem, and he took one that knew God, He found one that loved God, takes him up from his place, and he sticks him right in Babylon. And we will see again and again that Daniel is not affected by the temperature that is around him. But instead, Daniel influences the temperature of the room. He makes the difference. Take that challenge, that homework, Look how many times we find the comparison between the living God and all the other gods. Let me just tell you about one that we're going to look at in the next couple weeks. There is the king there, King Nebuchadnezzar, makes an impossible request of these guys, his wise men. I want you to tell me the meaning of a dream that I had. Cool, king, we can do that. What's the dream? I also need you to tell me what the dream is. Not cool, king, we can't do that. And they say, only the gods can do that. And their lives are in danger. Word gets around to Daniel. Daniel's brought before the king. Can you interpret my dream? And he says, no. 
I cannot. Those wise men had said only the gods can do that and we don't have that information from them. And Daniel says, no, I cannot. But my God can tell you the dream and the interpretation of it. So again and again, as we look into this book, we are going to see the message that God is better than. And you can write that down for yourself. Some of you need to put that on a card that you see every day, maybe on your mirror, maybe on a magnet on the refrigerator. And when you're tempted towards something, you need to read the words, God is better than and you fill in the blank. You see, Daniel was taken into exile, taken from his home. But God was in his heart. And God wonderfully never left him by himself. And God can help you. He can remind you that he is better than anything else that's trying to pull your allegiance. Verse 2 there says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Again, the Lord gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God is not asleep here. And if we were writing the story, we would say, well, God's city's not going to be overtaken. Jerusalem won't be overtaken. But it says the Lord gave it to him. So keep that in mind. One more thing that Nebuchadnezzar did. Remember that quick exit he has. He's got to go back so he can establish his kingship. One more thing that he does is he took some of the royal family, some of the nobility, and he took the most talented students with him. Now this is smart. Remember, he set up a puppet king, but it's easy when you're so far away to lose control. So these important people, loved ones, could be used as hostages. Better mind yourself over there because I've got your nobility. I've got your children with me. He could hold them as hostages, but also very much with the young men that he chose, including Daniel and his friends that we'll see in just a second. With those men, what Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he's advancing his own kingdom. Basically, this is the capital of the world, and he's pulling in all the brightest and the best the best scientists, the best artists, the best everything. And that's why Daniel is taken from his family so long ago. Look at verses three and four. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So I, I gave a contrast earlier of, of, of the different strategies that some people might use to break slaves or exiles. Nebuchadnezzar has a strategy here. He wants to gain the allegiance by these that he's bringing by making them love their new home. Why would anybody ever want to go back there to that desert? Look what you have here. By the way, that food that you're eating today, 
That's the lunch that the king had today. Why would anyone want to go anywhere else? They're trying to win them over. They want their allegiance. And you need to to focus in here on this because there's a strategy going on by King Nebuchadnezzar. But what's happening in Daniel's life is so helpful for us to see. Because Daniel is going to get into a pressure cooker situation. Daniel faces the pressure of change. He had a world around him that was shouting, there's so much better out there. There is so much better out there than what you have known back in Jerusalem. Check this out. Look at this. They were screaming, there's so much better than what you have had and that is better than your God. And this is the strategy of the devil to whisper in your ear that there is something better out there that you can have. In fact, they'll serve it up for you for no cost. And you can have this for free and it's better than your God. It's my philosophy working with children and with teens and with adults now for over 20 years that everybody that we come across that's part of really any group, but let's apply it to a church. Anybody in that group is watching somebody else. So you might think that nobody is watching you. Oh, but that's so wrong. I observed this just a few weeks ago here in the hallway. There's a young man in our church. He's probably about six years old. And after the Sunday school hour, I watched this young man come running down the hallway. And he was running towards me, so I thought he was happy to see me. No, he wasn't happy to see me at all. He said, have you seen Tyrell? I'm looking for Tyrell. And little Daniel was running through the hallway trying to find a kid who was about five years older than him. If you don't think anybody's watching your life, you're wrong. You hang around with a group and everybody's watching somebody. And so there's a challenge for that, but the challenge more so is, is we need to be something that is worth watching. The kids that are 10 years old are watching the 15-year-olds. They need to see 15-year-olds that obey Jesus Christ and love Jesus Christ. The 15-year-olds are watching the 20-year-olds. Is there a message out there for 20-year-olds that there's a whole lot more fun things that you can do than follow Jesus and go to church? Is that message out there? You bet it is. You see it on the TV, and all their friends are telling, talking about that party, talking about that thing that God prohibits, and saying it won't hurt. Everybody I know does it. There is a message that is out there that contradicts our God and we need men and we need young people and we need women that will stand up and will do what's right. You know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You look into his word and then you're not uh, a Christian in name only. You're a stand-up Christian. You're one who some parents will say, that's somebody that I'd like for you to look like in a few years. And every one of us has somebody that we can influence. Daniel finds himself in a place where 
Everything that he's known is under attack. There is nothing about that old place that's good. And he knew in his heart how great his God was. And so Daniel was God's man in the middle of a pagan society. Probably, let me throw this out there, I hope you remember this, probably between the ages of 13 and 17. So this first story we're gonna get to next time. He might be 13 years old, he might be 15. And he stands up when he is in exile for what he knew God wanted him to do. He's in the middle of this pagan society that has a goal of changing him and yet the opposite happens. Babylon benefits because of Daniel being there. When we look at Babylon, let's understand a little bit more about that. I've mentioned it a little bit. Uh, presently today, it's about 50 miles south of Baghdad. That's, that's the location of this. But in the area of polytheism back in Daniel's day, the city of Babylon itself, not Babylonia, but Babylon had over 50 temples with over 50 gods that you could pick from. What, you don't like that god? That's fine, let's go over here to this god. And some of these gods were worshipped in the most disgusting ways. And when we look at what was offered to Daniel, his heart was true. Babylon was the center of the world. And the best and the brightest were brought from each of the conquered lands to that place. And now, now, Daniel finds himself there, and what is going to be revealed that now that Daniel has been taken from Jerusalem into a new land, Babylon, what's going to be revealed now is what Daniel really is. You see, the accountability of his parents was gone. The expectation of his teachers had been removed. And so he's taken to a place and he's given opportunity really to do a whole lot of stuff that might have looked good. And it's at this point that his real character will come through. Now some of you have faced a situation similar to that. Back at home there's an expectation. You have people that respect you and that know you and there's an expectation with how you'll live. But for some, you get onto a plane and go to a different city where really you don't know maybe anybody. You check into a hotel. It's in those times that real character is revealed. And it's not easy. And the devil will throw all kinds of things at us but Daniel, in the anonymity of Babylon, is going to be revealed who he really is. So let's look at verses five through seven. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. 
Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. We're familiar with those other names as well, if you've grown up in church and know the stories of Daniel. Their plan was to make these exiles forget about their God. Now they're given new names. You see, the names they had were a reflection of the living God back in Jerusalem. These new names, all four of them, reflect one of the other gods that's in Babylon. They change their names. They give them all these temptations. And after this three-year training program is over, the goal is this. Don't miss this. The goal is for them to graduate as Jews who look like Babylonians. It's a very similar message and strategy that the devil has for you. If he cannot have your soul, if you are saved today and on your way to heaven, he cannot have your soul What he would like nothing more is for you to graduate from this time in this present world being children of God but looking like children of this world. Oh, how we need individuals to stand up for what is right. To dare to look at an example like this and then to find others. They're all around There are good examples all around who follow our Lord and Savior. We can learn from them and they can help us. God's people need to have something about them that is different. What a shame that so many have nothing distinct to mark them as God's people. If there were a knock on the door today and they were to come in and examine your life, we've looked at the records, we've looked at what you're doing on the web, we've looked at your, uh, your job performance, we've looked at your finances, we've looked at everything about your life. And what we're looking for is individuals who follow God. Well, you're free to go. Let it not be said at the end of our lives there's nothing to make us distinct. And I'm not saying you've got to, you know, dress weird and drive something weird and, and even talk weird. But Daniel did not live this life that he lived in Babylon because he felt like he had to. He did it because he wanted to. He knew the living God. And the more you get to know the living God, the more you will want to reflect his character in this world. You'll do it out of joy. Daniel could not be shaken because he understood that Babylon was not his home. And don't don't jump to conclusions because Babylon was not his home and neither was Jerusalem. Where was Daniel's home? It's heaven. And this world is not my home. We just pass through this place. We will stand before our God. This life will go so fast. I know it seems long and hard sometimes, but it's going to go so fast, especially compared to eternity. Eternity. 
God is watching us and he's rooting for us. And individuals like Daniel are in those grandstands in the sky rooting for us. You can do it. Stick with it. That world's not your home. Don't look for your reward now. Look for your reward then. And when the pressure comes, we need to be found people of integrity. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story of this wonderful, faithful, young teenager of integrity who turned into an old man of integrity who did not fail the test. We are blessed to have good examples all around us. We are so wonderfully encouraged by lives that were lived and the record of it so that we can see what they did and be challenged to live better for you. I thank you for Daniel. I ask for your blessing upon the upcoming next three months as we study this book. I ask that you would encourage our hearts very practically, but also as we get into the prophecy, that you would allow us to understand that you are making all these things happen for your glory. And may we be found right in the middle of your plan. While we have our heads bowed, I want to give you a chance to pray today. It could be any number of things that the Holy Spirit's laid on your heart. My experience is the Holy Spirit does a good job of convicting as we open His Word. If He's talking to you in a certain area, talk to your God. Whisper a prayer to God right now. Ask Him to help you with whatever way He's leading you. We never like to close a service without giving an invitation to accept Jesus for the first time. I don't know everybody here, everybody listening over the radio or Facebook. It could be that you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can do that right now. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you would not have to pay for your sins. All you have to do is ask for forgiveness and it'll make you his son, make you his daughter. What a wonderful day to do that today if you've never done it before. If so, just start to pray count on God to help you finish the prayer. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand